Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot CEO. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Lads, we are back. Yep, still here. Oh, Hello, guys. Okay. God, there's a fourth person. We're rolling with the guests here. Great episode of Richard last week. And here we have another great guy. He might be the man of the hour around Ryerson for the fantastic work he did for the sports issue. Will... Welcome back to the show. That is so aggressive. I don't know if I deserve that. <laughs> I feel like you said the same thing last week, but you know what, Will? You totally do. Yeah. It was a great... I read it yeah. multiple times. Well, I read it multiple times because I wanted to read Richard's story for this, but I read every story, and someone else in here wrote a story, obviously. Great story about the jerseys. Just want to point that out. Mm-hmm. All right. It was, it was all right. I thought, I was like, I'm proud of this. And then I saw Richards and I'm like, <laughs> anyway, first off, Will, I have to ask sport matters versus sports matter. <laughs> did you, did, have you guys heard about this? Like, do you, I just saw the thread of like you checking in on calf and just being like, man, what is going on here? On on Saturday, I this is like literally the Saturday before we publish. Like, it's down to the wire. And Catherine texts me. She's like, "Is it sport or sports?" When I read, and I was like, "Man, I I think it's sport." And she's like, she like goes into this rabbit hole of googling it, and basically comes to the conclusion that the British definition is sport singular. And the American is sports plural. And she like, this like breaks her brain because like <laughs> there's no Canadian version. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so like we have like a Slack channel flying around. No one has any idea at this point if the name of our issue is grammatically correct with CP because who knows. Kath lets out the theory that because of the if we make it sports singular do we have to change the name of the sports section at the eye opener because oh, no. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and, and i'm just like honestly i like i'm let's just leave it as sport I, it sounds like it, it sounds and uh basically we came to the conclusion that um sport sounded better like it sounded bigger for whatever reason like when you read why sport matters it sounds bigger than why sports matter for whatever reason and because they're both technically grammatically correct we just rolled with the one we originally started with plus i didn't know this until we did this process which is a uh, added to the list there's like 50 things i learned at minimum but one of them is like when you apply for a url when you're building a website you don't like get it immediately like we had to wait days to get the uh whatever it is why sport matters dot the album and i was like if we can't change it like it looks like we're kind of stuck <laughs> but, um i'm 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 happy with what we chose i think why sport matters sounds cool cooler than why sports matter i don't know why i'm curious to hear what you guys think if you think one sounds better see at first we thought we got we asked richard about it 
I think anytime we talk to anyone who did something for, for any sports, I think we have to ask this question. And at first, I remember thinking, I don't know, sports sounds better to me. But then, like, the way you put it and the way Richard put it, he said, like, sports would represent, like, the game itself, but sport is, like, the wider thing of it. And he really changed our mind on that, yeah. I think. But it's just... That's what most... That's what that, that's like the running that's like the running idea for why we went with the singular is mm-hmm. uh, that's a uh, basically sport sounds bigger and yeah. for what if we ran a focus group and asked a bunch of people apparently for whatever reason I th- maybe it's a British thing like British people sound more sound bigger so uh, when they speak so uh, maybe maybe that, that's why uh, but uh, yeah. That's what we went with. I don't. I don't even know if it was right at this point. I'm just kind of glad it's over. <laughs> can you confirm that, Adam? Is it for the whole British thing? British people just think they're bigger than everyone else to begin with. So I mean, not surprising. If you ever watched like World War II documentaries, there's this episode of um, World War II in color when they're talking about D-Day. And normally for like midway, they'd have American analysts for the Battle of Britain. They bring in the British, but for D-Day, they bring everyone, and they're talking about like all the British think they're all this smart, and the Americans just don't understand it like the british were proud people but you know i love i love british people one of my best friends is british uh he gets flamed for it all the time like in uh in high school he uh his name's harry and uh like he's the kind of guy who like does not like getting made fun of at all which of course means he gets made fun of way more than he should because of it yeah. So like we're in the gym and uh, a One Direction song comes on and I'm like naturally like, hey man, when did you when did you guys drop this? <laughs> he just gets like it's so bad, and uh, the best way to mess with him is especially when you start drinking or if you haven't seen him for a while, you're like, man, is is your accent fading? Like, is your accent like? I swear <laughs> you're sounding more Canadian. And then like for the rest of the night, ev- every word, like every single opportunity there is to throw out the British way to say something or the British slur or whatever, it's coming out. And there's, and you're just like, okay, cool. Well, <laughs> oh man. Um, I remember when we had you on last time and I joked that I called you the salesman because you got Daniel right away to do a new piece. Fantastic. Check that out, by the way. Um, you got me to do the sports issue piece and you talked about running a section that didn't exist. Can you give us some insight into what it was writing an entire special issue with not a whole lot of sports to work with? Well, it's funny because like this kind of like gets to like the one almost crisis we had is like the day before we had to like get our, uh, we, you have to get the cover finalized with uh, one of the adult staff who works for the eye opener. And um, he, uh, he wanted the cover to be uh, blue and gold instead of red and which wouldn't have fit the color palette. I'm sure if you guys go through the site, like it's pretty clear what the color palette we used uh, was. And I was so mad because uh, blue and gold made it look like it was a Ryerson magazine instead of an all encompassing sports magazine, which is what I wanted it to be. And I think that kind of like speaks to how you do a sports issue when there isn't necessarily sports is you talk about the bigger things going on around sports without actually talking about any games necessarily. Like there's not really a story outside of like maybe Marin's, but even Marin's is like a career retrospective. There isn't really one 
that touches on specific games. It's more just like ideas or themes or things that go on in and around sports. Like your story is a great example. Like jerseys. Like you can wear a jersey in the pandemic. It doesn't make doesn't change anything. Like Alex has a jersey behind him right now. Like it doesn't really change regardless of if there's games going on or whatever. And like that's what I think the issue tried to encompass is touch a big a bunch of issues that don't necessarily have to do with Ryerson, but using Ryerson voices to talk about bigger things, if that makes sense. Yeah. I remember, um, cause obviously you, you did. Yeah. you as you mentioned the thread on Twitter, which was great, by the way, great guy. Well, um, you did the Facebook posts, you did the LinkedIn and just seeing the support must've been pretty humbling. I mean, like that must've been like, man, I did something special here because man, so many people were saying so many great things about the issue and just how great a job you did getting everything together. Um, I mean, like, it's kind of funny when a lot of people compliment the issue because, like, I didn't write anything other than the ad. So, like, be like, stories are great. I'm like, yeah, I didn't really have much to do with them <laughs> other than editing them. Like, I, like, I, pay, like, I, a lot of them, honestly, like, Richards was not, Richards is a good example. Richard's like, I didn't say, you know, Richard, go write a personal piece about your experience in hockey. The original pitch for that was uh, sport and sexuality. And it was supposed to talk about uh, the different ways that sexuality and sport come together and how there's a long way to go. And Richard took that pitch in a uh, deeply personal way that made it a lot better. Same with Marin's story. Marin's was supposed to be about the different sports communities on campus and how like there's Leaf fans and like whatever on campus and how people make friends through that. And she took it from the angle of athletes and writing about how her career and how all her best friends are Ryerson athletes. So like, I think I got really lucky in the sense that like I had a bunch of really, really good writers, like, especially with my major features, like a beer and Donald, those two, like that was a crazy, like, like, like it's funny. Like they, they're both happy with their story like similar to you, but like neither of them love it. And I'm like, they're like, they just like really like it. I would say like they strong like it, but they're not like in love. And I'm like, uh, this story is awesome. <laughs> and uh, like Gavin's like a ton of people just put together really cool stuff. And like, yeah, I, I did like managing and organizing and making sure people got it in on time. But at the end of the day, if a bunch of people didn't do what they had uh, what they were supposed to do, then it wouldn't have come together, which is why on those and that LinkedIn and Facebook post, I made sure to tag everybody because like someone didn't do a photo, then can you really publish an article without a photo? Like it looked, it would look bizarre, mm -hmm. right? But, but like someone can work on this article for a month and then we don't publish like it. You know what I mean? So like it was a complete team effort and everyone put it together and it's definitely cool hearing people say positive things, but I'm, I think what I'm most excited about is just like how my original idea was able to create a building block for a bunch of people to do a bunch of really cool things that either will help them or other people. Like i like, I just think it's really cool that I know we're hyping up Richard all the time, but I think it's really cool that Richard's story is, in my special issue like yeah or like Marin wrote this like uh our fun and satire editor Rochelle 
she said that Marin's reads like a love letter to her basketball career. And like, I think it's really cool that if Marin wants to show people what her, like how she thought of like what basketball gave her, she would go to this article. And like, there's all these like different things in it that I think is partially why people connect with it is because there's a lot of really deeply personal angle, like Ben's story on sport and immigration. Like he taught, he's talking to, um, and I should remember his name because he's in our video, he's in the video, but like that story is so deeply personal. Uh, Tia's story on mental health, like all these stories, I think the writers did a really good job of making really personal. And I think that's why it's connecting with so many people is it's not like general sport helps mental health sport mm-hmm. is like you actually like see these people and you hear their stories and i think it makes it how a bunch of people are connecting with it but yeah it's it, like it's cool seeing the uh congratulations and like it definitely feels good but i like obviously <laughs> it's not like i wrote 16 stories by myself and did 16 illustrations and built the website like a ton of like literally what i say like eight thousand people in those posts like that's what it felt like because like every single person like a good example one person in the copy edits because each story has to get copy edited three times one person did six copy edits like our stories wouldn't have like it would have taken like do they get into the deadline if a random volunteer who has no association with me other than like she wanted to get some copy edits done like she just did them like she messaged me and was like, Hey, I'll do some copy edits. And then she did six. Like, I don't like doing copy edits. <laughs> this is my job. And she did six for like, a, and so it's just stuff like that where a bunch of people came together to make something pretty cool that I'm, I think it's cool that it was just like an idea a month and a half ago. And then now it's just, and then it all came together pretty cool. So two things I'm learning here because you're graduating. If anyone listening, Will, team player, humble guy. Um, and I think we have to have Marin on the show because uh, pretty good story. Yeah, Marin Marin's awesome, and uh, not only is she a really good writer, uh, she's also an All Star basketball player, mm-hmm. which I don't like. Which is like pretty, pretty good. Lee Ben was so jealous when I got her to write for because uh, she wrote at the start of the year. Shout out Marin because Marin's actually on involved in two eye opener covers this year, which like basically doesn't happen because. Uh, she wrote the cover story in October or November. I can't remember when it came out about athletes just being like, what's next when they get, when they finish their U sports career and like realizing that like my sport is over. I put my entire life into this and like now what? And like, that's a really cool story. That was our cover. And then Marin is like the center athlete on the uh, collage, which I made sure happened because uh, I was like, uh, why are we putting a random athlete who has no association as the main person in the collage when like literally an athlete wrote for this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's a, uh, she's, I think she's interning at CTV Montreal right now, or she was, oh, I think she's at the Sonian now. That's cool. Um, shifting gears a little bit uh, with the Raptors, obviously tomorrow's the trade deadline. I asked Donald this. I think I've asked him. He's been on twice. I asked him both times. What is going to happen to Kyle Lowry? I mean, it's pretty wild because, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but tonight is the uh, all-women's broadcast. Yeah. Which is obviously a huge deal for, like, 
a lot of reasons. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty wild that this could be because he hasn't gotten traded yet. And, like, he might get traded in the next, like, hour. And then, the, like, this entire conversation is like dead because that's how sports works unfortunately sometimes but yeah. uh it's wild that his last game might be the uh this broadcast but if he is he gonna get traded i think it's really interesting i i personally would trade him um i've seen people say that they'd rather have two more years of kyle than some young assets and i'm like to finish in seventh place like <laughs> like okay <laughs> He's 30, he's 36 years old. Like he's like, I love Kyle. He's one of my favorite Raptors ever. He's like, he's one of everyone's favorite Raptors ever. But the idea that bringing him back for probably 30 million or something close a year and filling up your salary cap for a guy who's like, like, I mean, you don't want to say it, but the guy throws his body in, <laughs> in every situation. Like, he's the guy who leads the league in charges every year and he's 36 years old. He's six one. Like eventually you got to think that this guy could potentially start breaking down and you're going to bring him back instead of accumulating some young assets. Why? Like I, I just disagree with that on that aspect. And then also like, honestly, like if you're, if you're actually a Kyle Lowry fan, why do you want him to be on a team that's going to be just good for the next two years? because that's what he's probably going to sign would be a two-year deal. Like, why would you not want him to go to uh, Miami or go home to Philadelphia because he's from Philly and try and win another championship? Like, how, like, if you're actually a fan of this guy, like, why do you selfishly want the end of his basketball journey to be on a Raptors team that, like, is, like, good? Like, I, I just – struggle with that obviously it sucks seeing your favorite player play for a different team like i'm sure seeing sundin play for the canucks was not fun <laughs> yeah but like also i'm sure that when you watched him play for that canucks team you wanted them to go far because yeah well like, yeah like, like yeah, that's your guy right like so i think like it sucks i if they keep him, I'll get it because he's literally the greatest player in the franchise's history. Like <laughs> it's a, it's a, he's a, he's a unique figure. He's going to get a statue in front of the state in front of Scotiabank arena next to those Leafs uh, legends. He's going to get his Jersey retired. Like he's going to get everything that the franchise could give him and he's earned it. But also I think trading him makes the most sense. And that kind of that kind of sucks, but I feel like that's just where they are as a franchise right now. I, I when I asked Donald last time, he had said it depends on the package you're getting back because you don't want to just get. I think what he says like you just don't want to get like second round picks and whatever, or you want to get late first round picks. So what then does a package look for like for Kyle Lowry? Because I saw some. I think it was Michael Grange tweeting about it last night about the deal to Miami and between Duncan Robbins, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. And there was just a lot of back and forth between fans that I was reading. If you get Hero, then you say yes and you run away. Right. <laughs> like Raptors fans are Raptors fans are in like a weird place right now because they don't want Kyle Lowry to get traded. So they're like crapping on Tyler Hero, even though he's 21 years old. He turned 21 two months ago. And 
yeah, he's not shooting very well right now, but he had COVID uh, this year. And um, he was obviously great in the playoffs, great as a rookie. He shot it, like, shot 44% in high school. He shot 36% in college. Like, yeah, he's not shooting it well this year. Guess what? OG Ananobi had a terrible second year. Pretty sure most Raptors fans would say he's pretty good now. Like, like development, I don't need to tell you guys this. Development is up and down. It's not always just consistently going up. And he's had a really weird year. But the reality is, is what he could be is just like you people were talking about him like in a redraft after the playoffs would he go third over rj barrett i I would have still bet on rj but like just the idea that you could get a guy who a year later in a redraft would go third for kyle who's probably going to leave in the offseason anyway like i've i understand what donald's saying and the idea that if you don't get that piece that you can like wrap your arms around. Like if you get Duncan Robinson, I don't know how, like if how great that feels, but like, I just struggle with the idea that he's actually going to resign after this year. I don't know why he would do that. If he, if he, if they talk to him and he's honestly like, I don't want to go anywhere, then I can see why they would keep him. But if he's actually going to leave in free agency, Miami has the cap space. Like, Raptors fans don't want to hear this, but the Clippers are two or three moves from a sign-and-trade to get it done. Like, it's not impossible if he, if Kyle Lowry went to the Clippers and was like, <laughs> can I come here? Like, we saw Miami two years ago sign Jimmy Butler with literally zero cap space. They literally did not have cap space, and they signed him. And everyone was like, wait, what? So, like, if he wants to go somewhere – this off season, he's going to go somewhere. So, but if he, if he's like, yeah, I'm going to resign, then I think that kind of changes the situation. And that changes like what Donald's saying, you don't want to give up, get nothing. But if he's like, if he's out, no matter what, like if you talk to Kyle and you're like, are you going to resign here? And he's like, probably not. Then like, yeah, it sucks getting Duncan Robinson and a, late first round pick and um, precious Achua. But at the end of the day, it's still better than your franchise player leaving for literally nothing. And you're just like, cool. We just let seven leave and we have nothing to show for it. <laughs> like, right. Like look at Boston, like the last three years, they've lost all-star level players for nothing. And guess what? They have no depth on their team now. Like, I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, last one from me, from me, I, and I don't have the entire scope of what the fan base is thinking, but what are the next, like after this year, it seems like this year is kind of like, okay, we know what's happening here. COVID and probably playing in Tampa really killed the team. What do the, pardon? I keep forgetting they're in Tampa. Yeah. The, what do the next few years look like? Like, is it, and they have Maasai like, is it just a reset? Uh, and uh, well, not not like not forever, but <laughs> he's a free agent after he, this year. He's got there. They, yeah. What do the next couple years look like? Like, is it just a reset, or is it uh, like a rebuild? Like, what's the next move? Well, like you, uh, you guys know this. There's like the three ways you describe how you transition a team. There's like the full rebuild. 
mm-hmm. which is like what Ottawa is doing where you're just terrible. Yeah. There's like the reset where like you like move, make like a couple, you make like a couple moves, you shift a couple things. Like I would argue what the Raptors did when they traded to Rosen was like a reset. Like you're like, this team is not necessarily going to get here, but maybe if we shift some things around, then we can get there. And then there's like the retool, which is I think what the Raptors would go through where they have three young potential core pieces. Like you got Fred who just gets better every year. Like it's kind of a joke at this point, how good he is. Like, like like the fact that he was an undrafted free agent and was an all-star level player this year, he didn't make the team, but he was good enough to be an all-star is just insane. Like the guy, He's probably like he's probably gonna be a first team All NBA player in two years because he just gets better every year. So like that's his he's like we were saying hero it doesn't <laughs> it's not linear except if you're Fred Van Vliet where you just get better every year I guess. Um, then you got Siakam who obviously hasn't had the last twelve months Raptors fans would would love, but I think the I, we saw him on a championship team as a. 2.5 op. I don't know if I'd full call him the second option, but because he had Kyle there, but like he was a top three guy on a team that won a championship. Like that happened. <laughs> and, he, and he's better than that now. So like you have that guy on your team and then you got OG on one of the most team friendly uh, contracts in the entire NBA right now. So like, you got Nick Nurse, who's maybe the best coach. Like, it's not like you're going to suck. But, like, that's my point about why I would move on from Kyle is because Norm's gone. Like, Norm's out. Like, someone in someone this offseason is going to pay Norm way too much money. <laughs> like, it's, it's coming. Raptors fans, Raptors fans know. That's why Norm – like, Kyle might not, might not get moved, but I would be shocked if Norm didn't just because this is the best he's ever played. So, that's why, like – what are they going to be like? They're going to look to build around those three guys who are all under 26 years old. Like there's a heck of like, you can be in a heck of a lot worse of a place in the NBA. Like your cap situation is pretty good with those guys. Like between Fred and OG, those are two of the best contracts in the league. Now it looks like Pascal's on the young fun max where he's on a max, but like, it's like kind of a fake max because it's the max you get out of a rookie contract. So it's like he only makes like 29, which is like still a fair amount, but it's not like the 41 that uh, John Wall makes. So it's more manageable. Um, but yeah, like they're not done. Like I think that's the that's why a lot of Raptors fans want to take advantage of them disappointing this year is just like they look at the core and they're like, when you look at Fred, OG, and Pascal, you're like, we're not going to be awful. Like, we're just not going to be a terrible team. There's too much junk in the East for you to not be, if you play hard in a normal year in Toronto where the mental health of your players isn't just in shambles because they haven't literally been at home in a year. <laughs> like, yeah. when, uh, when in that normal situation, you're going to be a playoff team. So, like, take advantage of that, get rid of Norm, who scored a bunch of points, and get a high draft pick this year, somewhere in the top 10. Hopefully get some lottery luck in the top five where there's five elite guys this year, and then come back next year stronger. But, like, 
in terms of like the dire situation that I think some people make it out to be for the Raptors, it's not bad. Like they have three really impressive young players that I think like at least 10 teams in the NBA right now would kill for. <laughs> like right. it could be a heck of a lot worse. It's not ideal, but I think people forget like they won a championship two years ago. Like that's the, that's the other reason why I think trading Kyle makes more sense is like, Sometimes you don't want to trade your guy. Like we went through this in Calgary with a Gimla where like, you don't want to trade him because like you haven't won and it, and it hurts because like when you get rid of him, you're kind of like essentially admitting that you failed and it's never going to happen. But like they did it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you like you did the thing, like, like the, you, you climbed the mountain. So now it's about figuring out the best way to build around Fred OG and Pascal and whatever that is, is what Masai, hopefully, because he's a free agent after this year and no one is really talking about that right now. And I don't really know why, like him and Kyle are negotiating a summer, like maybe Kyle, can Kyle ask Masai to resign? Like, what is this? Like, why is Masai, why is Masai uh, negotiating with Kyle about his future when we don't know Masai's future, but at least they have Bobby Webster, who's a really good NBA executive, but yeah, that's their job is they have to figure out the best way to build around those three guys and kind of go from there. When you said $21 million a year, I forgot that we were talking about the NBA. I'm like, <laughs> that is a lot of money for one single player. And then I had to do the switch in my head. 21. So that's uh, <laughs> Matthews and Eichel together. <laughs> God damn it. That's like Don't. 25% of the cap right there. Yeah, John Wall's more than half of the cap space for an NHL team. And my 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 favorite stat, I'm I'm sh- I I guarantee this still holds up. Like I don't know, I can't say I guarantee. My favorite stat is uh, when Drew Brees signed his contract extension. I think it was five years ago. Like his like last big contract with the Saints, he made more a year than the entire CFL combined. Oh my god. <laughs> 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 by like a f- sizable margin <laughs> wow yeah um before i really shift gears will i just want to ask like one more question about the raptors and is what would be a package in your opinion that would be ideal for the raptors for norman powell for norm norm's a norm's fun because like this is like the literal apex of Norm's value. Like you're, ne- you're never going to get more for Norm than right now because the way he's played this year is just like – like Raptors fans used to always talk about it, how inconsistent Norm was. And last year he started to get more consistent. Then he got hurt and went into the playoffs and like – it's like wasn't quite the guy he was in the regular season, but like he almost got back. And then this year he's kind of continued where he was last year where he's – for whatever reason in his later twenties, cause he's 27 now has found a way to be more consistent and in doing so he's like regularly dropping 30 for the Raptors. And, but like the problem is, is like the normal guy who's putting up those kind of numbers, you're going to want a sizable package, but the reality is this is Norman Powell. And uh, I think like if you can get a first round pick and a young player, that's like that's pretty good. Like, like mm-hmm. I, if you can get those two potential, because like every young asset is a potential swing at a good player. Like, 
And if you can turn Norm, who's going to leave this summer, into two potential swings, then, like, I think you take that. Who that comes from is interesting because apparently there's, like, 15 teams interested in him. So, like, going team by team, who would make sense? Like, that would take forever and, like, what that – but if – just, like, the general idea, if you can get a first and some kind of interesting young player – from that team, I think that would make a ton of sense for the Raptors and frankly help to fix the team's lack of depth right now because they're the depth is a little rough right now. So if they could get two for one for a guy who's out anyway, I think that's a big win for them. Great. All right, we're going to make a big shift now into hockey. And I believe that this is a, a topic Adam uh mentioned to me but we'd like to talk to you about patrick waugh versus martin broder i don't know where this came from but I, yeah I, really okay yeah. i didn't, I didn't I, i've heard rumblings of this, this i didn't topic. i didn't poke it will to maybe maybe you know daniel's a brother fan i am going to stay out of this one oh. i have no uh skin in the game so i'm just gonna one one is clearly the greatest of all time and the other one has the wins record so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh i like what you did there <laughs> Like, I mean, like I like I like Broder. I like I yeah, like who doesn't like Broder? Like he's clearly top five minimum. Like I don't know, he's he's somewhere in the top five. Like like him and like everyone loves to bring up Hashik, and I think Hashik's a little overrated personally because, well, for for starters, if your greatest memory as a goalie is getting scored on, I don't know if like. Like, oh. Like, oh, <laughs> hot takes yeah. today. Wow. <laughs> like, I, like I love the people who are like his his skate his skate was in the crease. I was like, okay, that rule is insane. Like, what, like, <laughs> like, what, like, are you pro skate in the crease rule? Like, he still got scored on. Like, but anyway, yeah. Uh, I think that Broder benefited greatly on the era he played in and the team he played on. And I think that that kind of gets discounted when we talk about things like the wins record and stuff like that is like the devils for basically every year until like 2008 were stacked in front of him and played the literal system that caused them in the lockout to be like, yeah, F this, we need to change the league because this sucks. This team has broken broken how we do this and we need to change it and like he deserves some credit for that because one of the hardest things like people don't realize as a goalie is like getting 20 shots sucks it takes a level of mental focus it's way easier to get like 35 because you're in it the whole game you're in the flow of the action and which is why i think the best goaltending performance I've seen, or one of the, one of the three best was price in the 2014 Olympics because like he's getting like 14 shots a game and like six of them were like five or six of them, especially in like the Lavia and the U S game were high quality. And it's like, you can't get scored on. <laughs> like If you get scored on, everyone's going to hate you, but also um, you're just going to stand there for 60 minutes and not do anything. So I think Broder deserves a ton of credit for the ability to have the mental fortitude to be able to stand there and consistently come up big for his team. But I think like when you look at the body of work with what Patrick Waugh did in the playoffs, 
I think that just separates him from the Broders and Hashiks and whoever else you want to put up there. Like he's 151 playoff wins. <laughs> like do 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 the math on how many cups you have to win. Like I remember when Matt Murray won his first two cups. And people were like, yeah, he has to win nine straight now for him. It was like it's like he has to win nine straight now for him to get to Patrick Waugh's record. It was like this guy literally won two cups in his first two years, and it's still like an impossible record to catch. Like he has like three of the most impressive playoff runs as a goalie. Like you look at 86. He's he's in his he's in a rookie, he's a rookie. He carries a marginal team to the to a cup like that like go look up the Habs rosters for the teams you want a cup with like the 93 team they won 11 11 overtime games at like, least in the 80s he had Larry Robinson but like by 93 was like right after Larry left and even then he was like, not prime him it was not great like in uh like Wayne Gretzky is on the record saying the greatest game he played in his career is 93 game seven against uh against the Leafs like he's on the record then they go on and to play Montreal in the cup final and they lose to a worse team like what like what Patrick Waugh did in those years like I don't think we can quantify well because of how different the league was and how just the stats just kind of look different just because of how the flow of the play was but like there's just nothing really like it and he did it twice. And then you look at 96, like he, uh, he gets traded, gets like lit, gets basically humiliated in Montreal, goes and gets traded. And then that season wins the cup. Like what a joke. Like, 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 I like, I don't even know if we can quantify how baller that would be if someone did that now. Like he literally, Went, goes up to his gym like I'm never playing for you again and then turns around and wins a cup like four months later and I his his stats in the 96 cup final are hilarious because they played a really bad Florida team who couldn't score <laughs> and uh they had a um I think it I think it was a quadruple overtime game that they won one nothing so his save percentage is like nine sixty five or something in the, in the finals. Like it's he was just a he was just a different player. And um, I mean, his his peak in the clutch, I think, is what separates him because like what he did on those marginal Montreal teams. By the time he got to, like those Colorado teams were stacked like. Like I'm not I'm not gonna try and tell you that Peter Forsberg and Sackick's teams were, <laughs> were weren't any good, but uh, by the time what he did in Montreal, I don't think we can do a good like I because we haven't seen anything like it since. I don't know how you quantify what he did if that makes sense. I'm gonna agree with you, hundred percent. Oh yeah, 100%. of course. Uh, and I'm yeah, and by the way, have. yeah. Hi, I'm Peter Forsberg. I'm gonna miss the whole year. Come back. And be the MVP for the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, he has 151 playoff wins, and he did it in most of his career when they played five games in the first round. So he should actually have more. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that. Like that stat is fake. Like I think Brodeur has like 100, or he has like 110. I think. Hold on. And Brodeur won. Like Brodeur had a ridiculous career. 
and he's not even close in the playoff lids. Like that, like that's how absurd it is. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense how he did that. Looking at the playoffs, what's really funny? Six all time, your boy Mark Andre Fleury, uh, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, Bell for fifth, Billy Smith fourth, and then who cares about Grant Fear? Uh, Brodeur was one hundred and thirteen. Yeah. Patrick was at one hundred and fifty-one. Yeah. Look at like think about that. One hundred and fifty. Like, think about how far ahead. Like, that stat looks fake. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that that stat to me is as impressive as the uh, – I wouldn't say as the Gretzky points record, but, like, I would say the goal record just because of how nuts the goal record is where you're like, is anyone actually ever going to touch that? Like, you like you look at that and it's – I think that's one of the 10 most impressive NHL records. Like, I am fascinated to see if anyone can get even close to that. Just because, like, you look at Matt Murray, he's got two cups, and he's not even going to – Marc-Andre Fleury, he's sixth. He's still – what? like, is he halfway? Um, yeah, he's at 81, so he's uh, – <laughs> He's not – he's just over halfway. But then again, he's, like, 35 now. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's, it's insane. Like, Rask is at 51, Holpe's at 50. God, you know what sucks about being a Carey Price fan? It's, like – he has every goalie record for Montreal, except like shutouts because Haynesworth is like, hi, what's up? Um, Carey and Price only has 30 playoff wins. That's, that feels like more than it, like I would have guessed. It's, it's, it's just, it hurts, man. It hurts. And I think we got to ask this question, by the way. What? I've asked you this in person, obviously, but we got to ask for the listeners, obviously, how the Calgary boy – and we'll talk about Kipper and that skull mask in a bit. I think we have to. to how does the, the man, <laughs> how does Carey Price come into Will Baldwin's life and make him the Habshane he is today? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. So I decided to become a goalie in 2004 because of Kiprasov. Um, that was like my, that was my first year of hockey, like my first year of squirts or we call it squirts. It was like once a week on Saturdays. Um, and so I like the year I just got into like some semblance of organized hockey was the year the flames traded for Kip Brissoff and he almost single-handedly won a Stanley cup. But like, seriously, like go look up the guy's numbers. It was an actual, (laughs) like, like it was a joke what he did. And, um, so but the problem was, is like, I couldn't become a goalie officially, like full time until first year Adam, which was 2007, 2008. So for 0405, my second year of Timbits, 0506 in novice and 0607 also in novice. I just, I had to do like the play out rotate thing. And uh, so I loved goalies this whole time, but like I wasn't able to be one. So I was like always watching huge Kippersoft fan at the time have a picture with him like waiting in line like back when they used to like go to Walmart and you could like go meet your favorite player like waiting in line with my buddy and like have a picture with him it's pretty hilarious like you can tell like how nervous we are because we're like eight and we're like meeting Kippersoft who in Calgary like the flames are like at this point, the Flames are like gods. They're not really anymore because they're not any good. They're everyone hates them now because they're just chronically disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, this was like 
the first year after they went to the cup final, like Kiprasov's a literal god in the city at this point. Like you cannot even make up how big a deal this guy was. And uh, so we're staying really super nervous. And um, but anyway, so in the 0607 year, we went to we used to go to Hitman games all the time, the WHL team in Calgary. And uh, believe it or not, in the fall of that year, we saw Tri-City play and saw this goalie, loved how he played. Who knows why? Like, honestly, I was eight years old. Like, who Like who knows? Who knows, <laughs> who knows why I connected? But for, like, really liked him. But, like, it's a classic junior thing where you're like, oh, you're, you're not going to remember this guy. It's junior hockey. But, of course – a month later, this guy goes on to have the greatest goaltending performance in world junior history over in Sweden. Side note, hilarious that his iconic moment in that is a shootout save when he sucks in shootouts. Yeah. Has his entire life. <laughs> like, I, I think that's, I just find that so funny. He got absolutely lit up in that shootout. I would tell him that too. <laughs> That's the he's so lucky that Taves did what he did because he actually got cooked in that shootout. But anyway, um, so yeah, watched him a bunch, and then one of my cousins, uh, she is like, she was like a she was like uh, a fringe Habs fan, like liked them, but like, like I would say liked, not like an actual hardcore fan, but like liked the Habs. And followed them and uh knew uh carry was in their system because he got drafted i guess a year and a half earlier um but like from that world juniors on i just paid attention to him because like by that point as you guys know once you dominate the world juniors you're a household name in canada like yes and then of course he wins the calder cup that spring and <laughs> stewart talks about that it's just yeah so we were supposed to win I don't know where you're going to scare it, Bryce. If those have been 949, like these. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually nuts. Patrick Wall also won a Calder Cup, by the way. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, for uh, keeping track. But uh, I've read his bio- biography by his dad twice. Really? Um, yeah, great book. Like, seriously, you should, you should read it. It's, uh, it's really good. And it was written after he retired. So you get everything out of it. Like, it ends when he's still coaching in Quebec. I don't know if he's updated it, but yeah, it's a great book. But anyway, he um, so by that time, I'm just hooked. And then his rookie year, he makes the NHL in 2007, 2008, which is the first year I can be a goalie full time. And that, like, at that point, like, it's over. <laughs> like, at that point, we're just, we're linked for good now. Like, it's <laughs> that's poetry. And uh, it's really cool for me because, um, I don't know Carter Hart, but like I know Carter Hart in the sense that like he grew up in Edmonton. We're the same birth year. He's a um I followed his career because he's a diehard. Um, like we were both playing spring hockey the same, but like I just knew who he was. And mm-hmm. um he was playing Bantam Triple A. Like we uh played his team in minor midget when I played with Kale, like like I just have like I just knew who Carter Hart was the whole time from like Bannamon. Like I just knew who this kid was. And 
by knowing who he was and like seeing his social media knew he was like a like he was a huge Terry fan like I was and so when they when Sportsnet ran that feature when they played each other in the playoffs last year like that hit me really different because like I knew what he meant when he was saying what it was like to uh see your idol because I had the same one like I know like I knew exactly what he was talking about because we we didn't have the same experience but like we had the same experience and like we grew up and started playing at the same time and following the same guy and so like I see like the projected uh Olympic roster and I see Carter Hart on there with Carrie like I can't even imagine what that would be like just like the idea of you've been a fan of this guy for 14 years and like now you're gonna sit next to him in the locker room like that's wild but yeah Carrie Carrie fan since fall 2006 (laughs) well that moment um I think it's like it was probably tear in my eye when it's the handshake line after Philly wins and like everyone knows what the shot is and we're all just kind of waiting and it's just like the smile Carter Hart gets when Carrie's like come here it's just Oh yeah, like, oh, yeah. that was that was wild. It was funny. Um, ne- next week, you guys are the first people to hear this publicly. But next week, for my final article at the I, I'm releasing a Q and A Q&A with a bunch of former sports editors, and one of them I talked to is actually Bob McKenzie, who, uh, who uh, all right, former wow. Iowa, I'm excited, former Iowa sports editor, and we were talking at the end. We were like, yes, and he's like telling me how like uh kids go up to him and uh they tell him like he's like their hero and, like who they like he's why like they go into media and stuff and i was like yeah bob i uh i would tell you that but i'd be lying to carrie he uh, <laughs> thought that was funny because he says when people tell him that he's like shoot higher <laughs> like why are you trying to be a sports writer like i like it's not <laughs> Uh, it, it was so funny i was um i was editing for the sports issue and uh one of the uh other former sports editors connected us and we were like shooting emails trying to set up the uh, interview and he just calls me out of the blue and i was like i like i normally don't answer non-contact phones because like it's 2021 like why am i answering random numbers and uh, out of the, because this one said Toronto, I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. I might a- a- answer it. And it's like, uh, hey, Will, this is uh, Bob McKenzie. I was like, you do not have to introduce yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I know who you are. I know your voice. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you could, like, in that moment, I just wonder, like, what do you think? Like, do you think, like, is this, is this really Bob? Or is it what, like, like you said, like, you heard the voice and you're like, um Bob McKenzie. It was more surreal when I got his email, I feel like, because I was like, oh my god, I have Bob McKenzie's email now. Like, <laughs> like and uh yeah, but like when he called, it was more just like the surreal part, it was definitely surreal at the start. The middle was more just like a fun interview, like just asking this guy like about his experience at the IELTS and like which was fun. And then the end was surreal because like I'm just like I'm like, man, am I ever going to get a chance to tell Bob McKenzie ever again that, like, I've been a fan of you since ever? Yeah. And uh, so that was cool, like, getting to thank one of the people you grew up watching every day and just, like, 
like that was cool but <laughs> the middle was more just fun hearing bob mckenzie talk about the eye opener <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so weird well well um we always try and keep people for 30 minutes yet again we kept you for an hour <laughs> that's okay so thank you for coming on as always and uh i, I think next time you're on now, then we talk about equipment because we can do equipment we can do we can do some current goalies. There's like goalies, a goalie is such a cool position because a goalie is easily the number one position of in all of sports where like you doing greatest of all time is kind of stupid unless their careers overlap in some way. Mm-hmm. Cause like, it's just a completely different sport for how they prepare and train, like comparing Jacques Plante and like George Vesna to Carey Price, like good luck with that. Like yeah. if you if if you can come up with the opinion on who is better, go, like good for you. I respect <laughs> you. Like, <laughs> but, if you, but for those of us who have seen the film and we're just like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I watched the eighties. Like, the goalies are suspect, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> like that. That's the. Uh, I feel like that's like the one position in sport. Honestly, hockey is the number one sport, I think, for the you should just do the greatest by era because the equipment has changed so much. Like, oh, yeah. If you watch, like, like I remember a couple weeks ago, the, uh, they threw back. I, I saw um, 2007, it was the Eastern Conference Finals, Ottawa, Buffalo. And I was watching, it was like, man, like, this is so much slower than it is now. And this is 14 years ago. Like this is like when I was a kid, like this isn't that long ago. So you're just trying to compare like, like good luck. Like if you want to try and compare Connor McDavid and Phil Esposito, like go for it. I wish you the best of luck in trying to determine who's better. I feel like you should just do by era, but yeah. To put it in perspective, Grant Fuhr never had a save percentage above 900 with the yeah. Edmonton Oilers. Never. Oh, yeah. No. That would never I, fly today. Yeah. Like, like Freddy's is like, not, Freddy, what is Freddy's like? Below 900. Yeah. And everyone's like, Freddy's the worst goal in the NHL. And like, meanwhile, Grant Fuhr is like, yeah, Hall of Famer. No doubt. Lock. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> He was above 900 twice in his career. And it was like <laughs> was 901, 903. Was one of them the year he played like 78 games for St. Louis? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 95, 96. <laughs> the, the only reason that that's such a funny stat. He played, would he play 78 or 79? Uh, 79. Yeah. That's never happening ever again. <laughs> the, only reason I, the only reason I know that is his coach was Mike Keenan. And, uh, the um, it was one of the years in uh, it was like whatever year Keenan was the Flames coach, it was like a running story of how many games Kiprusov was going to play because Kiprusov like famously had no backups ever. Like his backup list is hilarious. Like you're like this guy like once like Noodles left, you're like this guy played in the NHL. Like this guy at like this actual like Henrik Carlson that actually happened, and uh, so like. I think it was like oh nine. Someone was like, like they were doing the tracker to see how many games he was on pace for it. I think he played like seventy six or seventy. Like it was a joke how many games he played. 
can't do that anymore today. It was like Carrie was on pace to be like 60 last year and it was like, no, enough <laughs> of this. 70 back in the- Yeah, let's compare goalies from nowadays to back in the day when they didn't have masks and there weren't glass paint well, around here. I love how people talk about Gretzky has the most unbreakable records and no, he doesn't. Glenn Hall has the most unbreakable record in all of sports. Played 500 games in a row. It's never going to happen ever again. Like that, like like that, like that literally will never happen again. You can look at any other sports stat for like most leagues. Like people are like, this is the unbreakable stat. Like, no, like 500 games in a row is literally never going to happen. I guarantee it. Ladies and gentlemen, by the way, Kerry Price himself has only played 702 games. Goalies, equipment, positioning, it is the most voodoo, weirdest position in sports. And next time we have Will Long, we're going to talk about it. And I'm sure we still we still have to talk to you about the mystery that is Mika. Um, Mika what am I trying to say here? Um, well, I can't remember his first name now. Kiprasov, Mika? Not Kip, no, 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 not Mika Kiprasov. Because the better jet? That's what we need. We all forgot about him because Mike Smith is stolen. And that's my, one of my best, one of my funniest childhood childhood memories that like you know how you have like those memories that like you're like, I like why do I remember this? This is such a stupid thing that I wish I could get out. I legitimately asked my mom in like the early two thousands when I was a kid, like what the process of getting a Finnish passport would be so I could like so I could be Kiprasov and play for the Finnish national team. Like that actually happened. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know why I remember probably because of how insane it is, but that actually happened. Like I actually went to her and was like, how do you how do I play for the Finnish national team like me Kipper? Like do you guys see that sports energy tweet they're like which athletes did you yes. did you did you act as an like I'm sorry, who didn't? Like what? But yeah, I actually asked my mom, like, how, what is the process for playing for the Finnish national team? She's like, you would need a pallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you again for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Um, we look forward to next time you're here, we might talk about a Lowry trade. We're going to talk about goalies and whatever else is going on in the world. Again, world. we're. <laughs> We're definitely going to link to the sports issue. And if you want to also have a second to just plug all your gubs, go ahead. All my, like, plug, what do you want me to plug? No, all your, where can people find your stuff? Go ahead. Just give us everything I smack. Um, well, I write for the eye opener, obviously, as the sports editor for two more weeks. Um, and then I write for my blog, my basketball blog, air-ball.com. We have a, I have a fun Twitter account where I just tweet like random basketball thoughts. That's actually pretty fun. It is. Over four over 400 followers now just following random fan bases. Um, so that's fun. I have, a tw- I have a basketball TikTok, which is the same username as my Twitter, at the Will Baldwin. And I also write for North Bowl Hoops. Sporadic, I'd say regularly now because I have a new series coming out starting this week interviewing CEBL players. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you again. Uh, we will be back in a second. COVID has hit the North Division. The Canadians are affected by it. The Leafs, people are trying to link Jonathan Quick. We don't know why. Um, and refereeing, a lot of controversies after last night in Tim Peel. We will talk about that in a second. We'll be back. Lads, 
a great talk with Will. Again, we are so bad with having our friends on and going over the time limit. Um, still a good bit of news to come in the North Division, actually. Um, we'll talk about, of course, the Leafs and the Habs a little later, as I teased. First off, though, per Elliot Friedman on the 31 Thoughts blog, a little bit of interesting news around a certain defenseman. Teams aren't thrilled about the price for Matthias Ekholm. We knew originally it was a first and two prospects. Apparently now it is a first and elite prospect and a third asset. So I guess teams didn't like that, and now National have opened it, uh, sort of raised the price. But apparently Elliot is also wondering if that price instead would be better if a team could get Matthias Echo. Uh, Ryan Ellis. Wait, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Could get Matthias. Ryan Ellis, sorry. Would a third, sorry. Would a third <laughs> asset essentially just be a roster player or like a legitimate roster player? Like, is that what we're looking at here? That's such an that's such an odd thing, like an odd definition. I'm not. This isn't obviously Friedman's fault. Like, I'm just saying that's what the price is. Wow, that's so. It's weird. It's broad. It's very yeah, broad. So, so sorry if the if teams because they don't love the two years of Alice only yeah. having that would it be better for an Echo who has a good bit of term. The What's weird is sorry. The other way around. Echo has two years. Ellis. I am. But we get the point. We get yeah. the point. We understand. We understand. Okay. Yes. Keep going. Yeah. We we were on a Zoom call with Will for two hours. <laughs> this is this is a four hour show. Anyway, um, and the team he links Ellis with, mm-hmm. and I would say maybe this is more a draft move because the Flyers have not been the same since they lost Matt Jawbreaker Niskanen. Have to add that in. Let, let that uh, one sit in the. Uh... In silence for a little bit. Yep. One game. Brendan Gallagher to get to play. He did. Just pointed yeah, out. Not, no, no. You're not wrong. Um, Absolutely not. It's, I, I think it makes sense uh, depending on what the price of Ellis is. Simply because I value I, I value Ellis more. I, I know he's signed long-term at 6.25, I believe. The back end's going to be messy, but those first what, three years, four years, they're going to be really good. And if you're going to pay that extra, extra prospect and plus picks, whatever the price may be, I know I have Ryan Ellis for longer than a year and a half. I don't know what Matthias Ekholm's price is going to be after next season. Is it going to be more than Ryan Ellis? Probably not, but it's still, I, I think, it makes sense knowing that Ryan Ellis is going to be there longer, maybe. Daniel, what's interesting is, and this answer is a little question you have there, Alex. Apparently, there's a belief that Echo's value might actually increase after expansion draft. And Alex, you have also mentioned the problems if the Leafs were to get him, expansion would be a big problem. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah, I think... I think there's something there that you have to kind of look at. And when you mentioned Philadelphia, the fu- the funny thing that I think about is the tradition of getting defensemen with a lot of term who are, you know, entering, they're going to enter their 30 soon. And it reminds me of Andrew McDonald, you know, you know, Mark Strait or a Chris Pronger where they gave up a lot of assets for these guys. And 
depending on what Philadelphia wants to do, if they really believe that, because the general consensus I, I've, I've been finding with a lot of coverage for them is, do they really know what they are this year, that they had the momentum last year, and then this year there's a lot of a step back, whether or not you know it's something with the development of Carter Hart, if it's something with their core where you know we they have to find something dramatic that maybe Ellis does fit it maybe he does kind of help fill that gap you know he's definitely going to be an upgrade from what Alex has said in his prime for maybe the next three years or so but it's another contract where I think people are gonna think about how is that gonna kind of age going forward but Philly Philly's interesting I think for either at home or in Ellis because they have the assets for it. They've drafted pretty well and they, they, they know how to kind of use these picks. Like I think about the Braden Shen trade where they had those assets there to make a big move. Mm-hmm. I, I, sorry. I was just saying, I think you have to ask the question if you're making the trade for Ellis and I think Chuck, uh, Chuck is it Chuck Flesher who's GM or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you see Philadelphia as? Because I think if you said last year, I would have said, hey, they're probably a contender, right? They 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 kind of came out of no, we didn't expect them to finish. I think they finished first in the division. But I don't think they are what they are this year. I don't think Carter Hart is actually this bad. No. Right? He, um he has not been good. He's hasn't been good. And who knows this could be just a an awful year. We know, you know, it's very weird, right? As Will said, development isn't just up and up. It's, exactly. it's up and down. Yeah. Exactly. Growing pains. I, I find with this team, well, you think about like a Joel Farabee, you think about a, a Morgan Frost because like, these are guys that have, they, they've been lucky the way they've developed, I think, but it doesn't erase the fact that, you know, you have a really unstable core that you're putting the most money in where Sean Couturier is injured. And then I don't know if you could rely anymore on Juru or Yakov Voracek to really carry that top six. By the way, um, big news. This Sunday, the 28th, we have a confirmed guest. Will Baldwin. No, not Baldwin. No. no <laughs> oh, what a terrible just, second just, half of the show. We just had Will Baldwin. Will Christopoulos. <laughs> A fellow journalism student and also works for the Florida Panthers. He's a Sabres fan, so we'll have the extremes of the Sabres who are currently chasing the consecutive loss record in the NHL and the Panthers who are having such a great year with Joe Quinville. What a great guy he is. More good news, actually, around the league. Wonderful. According to the Associated Press, the NWHL is expanding Montreal. Let's go. Montreal will be home to the league's seventh team. Uh, The team would be run by the BTM ownership group that owns the Boston Pride and established the Toronto Six. By the way, the Toronto Six in Boston, who are playing each other in the semis of the Isabel Cup this Friday, go watch that on NBC, SN, and everyone should watch that. But more news for the women's game. They're coming to... The hockey capital here in Montreal. Love it. I'm a bit biased here, but let's be honest. <clears throat> let's was go. There, was there a better place to put a new team considering no. the places they already have? No. This is big. I like it. I'm, I love it. I'm so, you know, I, I'm interested to see what maybe the relationship will then be with the Habs, considering again with the old 
league with Les Canadiens. They were close, so I, I'm interested to see how that's going to go. But, I mean, there aren't a lot of better places to expand to than, than Montreal. So, let's go. I was a Toronto Six fan for a few weeks. Now it's no. Let's go. No. I'm excited. He's back. He's swinging back. I, I want to get an He's... NWHL sweater, you know? Like a jersey? No, no, a jer- well, an actual sweat, like a hoodie. Yeah, yeah. And then whenever the Montreal women's team comes. Yeah. I'm interested to see what they may go for a name because, you know, again, the old CWHL team inspired by the Canadians, even the AHL team inspired by, like, Rock and Richard. I wonder if they'll go original or they will do an NHL tribute because, you know, but like the six are based off Toronto. It's not any Leafs up. It's not the St. Pat's, but mm-hmm. then they obviously have the Whaler ripoff team as well. So I'm interested to see what direction they go with, with the identity of the team. Well, let's see how the, what the relationship is like with the NHL at the ones that's announced. I, I, have a, I just have a feeling there's big things coming in women's the Montreal Quebecois. I don't think you can call them Quebecois. Okay. Only you can do that. Yeah, I don't think you can um, do that either. Might as well call them the block if you're going for that. Don't think that's gonna work. <laughs> no. The Montreal. I don't know. I can't think of any. It's in. I don't. I don't know what they're gonna do. I hope there's. You know. I hope they go original. Actually, I don't know. It's you know. I. I'd love for there to be some sort of connection with Montreal, with, with the Habs, but, you know, at the same time, you, you want to be your own self, right? If you mm-hmm. tribute to someone, like, I don't know if people would think it, it's like, I don't say this because it's women, but, like, if there was something with Lafleur, I don't know, you could do something, like, mm-hmm. I, I'd imagine you could do, like, a cool logo with that, right? Yeah. There's a lot you can do. This is where, like, even if you didn't, if you want to stick to something around the Canadians. Like you're talking about a team who has over a hundred years of history. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's pick and choose. Let's go like run, run through the list. And at this rate, as you say, I, it's the NHL, there has to be something coming now. Has to be. Has the to Montreal Fleur de Lis. That's not bad. Actually, that's not bad. That, no, no, seriously, like I, I think that could work actually. And you're gonna send this episode Fred, to them like now. The Flair de Lee, I think that's a good one actually. All right. Can we check the betting odds? That's got to be a thing already, right? Maybe. Should ask Baldwin. Maybe. Where do I go for this? Next time. Next time. I think Christopoulos is into that too. He had a bet on what song uh, the weekend was gonna open. But I think he got it right too. It's just some things. Um, but hey, anywhere everyone watched the Isabel Cup, and then whenever this yes. Montreal team shows up. We will refer to them as the Montreal Flair de Lee until we know otherwise. Okay. Sure. I like uh, it. So do I. I'm, I'm so excited. Good job, Daniel. What? Oh, yeah. Good job, Daniel. <laughs> uh, you, uh, never. Yeah. <laughs> okay. News of the day. Victor Arvidsson yesterday got called for a trip. Heavy emphasis, quotation marks, trip. On Detroit's John Merrill. It was a pretty weak call, is what I'm trying to say here. But the call was made. A hot mic picked up referee Tim Peel, who has refed over 1,300 regular season games, 90 playoff games. 
After the penalty was called, the mic picked him up saying, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a bleeping penalty against Nashville early in the, and then it cuts out. At this point of the game, there was only one penalty, and it was against Detroit in the first period. We all know that makeup calls are real, but here it is in the actual audio. Now, as a result, this morning, the league has said that Peel will no longer be working NHL games. He was set to retire, this from Elliot Friedman, on April 24th. So the league, I know, but I think the reason they haven't said terminated or anything is probably because he's close to retirement. I don't know exactly how NHL pensions work. I don't know if the if referees have their own union, but I imagine mm-hmm. they're sort of doing that for him. So he loses, by the way. I think he would get to choose what game his last one is. So he's lost that. I can only imagine how much of a punch to get that is. And the real slap in the face here is in their statement, the NHL emphasized the importance of the integrity of the game. Now, I know you guys don't like it when I mention the Royal family, but there is a very, I think his name is Michael. He was a press secretary. I think it was Michael D for the Royals back in the day. And he was there when there was an article that the queen wasn't a fan of what Margaret Thatcher was doing. Now the big deal there is the, is the Royals are never supposed to take a side. And so the blame was pinned on Michael D and he lost his job as a result, taking one for the team. And that is exactly what has happened here with Tim Peel. The worst, one of the worst kept secrets in officiating in the league has just been spilled. And it is such a joke the way they have responded here. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for everybody except the players. Like everyone involved, the, the league, the referees, it's just embarrassing. Like, I, I don't know any other other way to put this. Like, since when I saw it last night, I think I, I don't know if I sent it to you guys this morning or if I sent it to you guys last night. I said, we probably should talk about this. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's just embarrassing. Like, how do you, we knew, like, I, I think a lot of people were shocked, not because it's happening, but because we finally heard evidence that this this is true. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly like I'm kind of disappointed by some of the opinions by extru- like people I respect. I'm a little disappointed by some of their thoughts on this. Like I'm sorry like this their makeup calls are a joke. I'll I'll tell you I had an analogy and I thought about this last night. I I took guitar lessons for like 10 years. Before I went in an exam, my, my guitar teacher said to me, even he's like, even when you play, if you ever play live, remember this, when you make a mistake, don't go back to try to fix it. Because once you've made that mistake, everything's going to, and you try to go back and fix it. The rhythm's going to be off. It's not going to sound great. It's one thing to admit a mistake, right? To say, Hey guys, I made a mistake, but to blatantly go back and try to fix that it doesn't make sense to me. And I get the examples, not the same, but I think the principle is why are you purposely doing this? Number one, just do your job better. I guess that would be the the thing. Makeup calls are not part of the game. This is an issue. This isn't just an issue in the NHL. I've seen lots of people talk about it, but to come with the idea that this is good or this is okay, makes no sense. And Hey, when partners, gambling partners, when the NHL starts making these partnerships, 
you think they're going to be okay with refs making makeup calls? No, no one, no, no party involved should be happy with this. Mm-hmm. Daniel. This is, yeah, this is huge. I, I remember seeing a lot of players and when you, when you think about integrity, a lot of former players saying like, why is everyone surprised that this that like, you know, this is a thing that's always been going on everything that makeup calls just do happen. And, it, it it's a weird it's a weird balance for me because when you kind of do look at it it's just it's just crazy with like what the nhl just came out with like how swift it was where you know a lot of the other things that have been happening like i know this is a different one but it just the investigation had a bit more due diligence to it i'm not saying that it it was a it was the right thing to say but it was it's something that it's definitely kind of Put put a da- puts a damper. Like I like what you said, Adam. Where you're like, the the truth has been spilled, in a way that this thing is happening. Where, and like the first thing I kind of thought of, like the only way that you are really objective of this thing is in an NHL video game. Yes. At this point, when it comes to this officiating, it's um. You hope that this is first off. Of course, they are not punishing him. They did not punish Tim Peel for making a bad call. That happens all the time in every sport. He's being punished because he had a mic on. First off, never going to happen again, by the way. never go, We're never going to get mic'd up refs unless it's like an all-star game because it's going to be Wes McCauley. We like Wes. Steve Dangle doesn't. We like Wes. I love Wes. There is a hope now that maybe this can scare the... First of all, anytime Colin Campbell talks, it's like, I just don't believe you. And he was the one making the statement. That maybe this is the much-needed change that the league needs in officiating because there is the... I Listen, I like net front battles, but the cross-checks anywhere else in the open ice, the... and. Uh, and again, cross checks. I mentioned a certain jawbreaker earlier on the Philadelphia Flyers, like that. The blatant, just like stuff that never gets called. And the worst thing that has to be changed, we all know it, is the way the game is called in the playoffs is a completely different sport. Now, is the punishment going to be okay? Change the way you officiate. No, it's going to probably be, hey, idiots, don't have a mic on. Is the reality of the change coming here? There won't be any. You, you, but you know, it's the, the solution here is very simple, right? Like, it's not a very complicated solution. In my opinion, this is very simple. Just call the rule book. Yes. Stop getting so complicated. Oh, game management, this. That's not your job. Your job is not to manage the game. Your job is to watch the play and call the rule book. Mm-hmm. I don't care if someone got tripped and you missed it. Am I get okay? Am I gonna be pissed off? As a Leaf fan, I watch a game, he misses a trip. You've seen it multiple times, Adam. Am I gonna be upset in the moment? Absolutely. You're a very reasonable fan watching games. You're very reasonable. We all okay, are. Okay, but okay. So we like someone else that we watch the games with. He <laughs> might get a little more. <laughs> he might get a little more upset than me in See, the moment. Pardon? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But you get the point I'm making. This is it. It's a very simple solution, and we're the the league is going to try to make it much like if you read the 
what some people are saying. They're making it out to make be this huge dilemma that the refs are going to have to deal with. No, no. It reminds me of, and I know this is not within the league, but this is WIHF, but it kind of reminds me like when you talk about Alex, like balancing out the calls that are coming. Um, the one thing I always remember when Gord Miller kind of talks about it is in like the round robin games where the tournament is going on in Europe, for example, right? With the bigger ice, different officiating. Mm-hmm. You'll see the WHL, the OHL, the Q guys, you know, barrel down these guys and like Canada gets like five penalties a game. But then you get to the final, like the, the medal round and nothing's really being called anymore where it's the kind of thing where it's like, let the boys play in a way. And I could see where that inconsistency is kind of going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and we're all guilty of this. You ever think I've seen a interference call in the last minute of a game and been like, you're going to call that with a minute left. Come on. Like in the playoffs a couple of years ago, it was 2017. I forget. Might've been, I was thinking it was game two Habs Rangers. And Shea Weber blatantly cross-checks it, like pulls him over, interference clearly. But there was no call. You think I'm going to complain about the no call? No. It's it's that tricky balance, right? Like, you know, I don't mind if there's less calls in the playoffs, but then it's like, no, but you want it to be done clean. It's, it's almost like we as fans have, have started being, like, contaminated by this just, like, the, this rule book. It's just, like, tearing out, like, it's missing pages, like, what is a cross check? It's right next to the chapter missing about what a hit to the head is in this league. It's just no one knows. It's just uh, we guess. We just throw out like okay. I've I've cards here. Pick a card. What's the what what number are we gonna see, guys? Just give a random one. Nine. Nine of which which suit? Diamonds. Uh, heart. Hearts. It's the jack of diamonds. Mm-hmm. That's how the refs decide if something's a penalty now. Is by pure chance. Let's do it again. Let's say it's the six of clubs. It's the three of spades. That's how it feels like sometimes watching hockey. It's just embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I, that's 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 what it only, is, and nothing's going to change. I think you guys are right. We're mm-hmm. only going to rely on EA simulations now. I mean, even then, I mean, I don't know, man. Some of those poke, you can't poke check about tripping anyone. It's rough. Oh, I remember. Um, this is just a really random thing, but you know, you ever have this thing where I actually like got really annoyed with the new AHL games where you block a shot, but then an opposing skater skates by your player that just blocked the shot, and you get called for tripping. Let Let's listen. We can devote a whole segment to EA <laughs> games. Like I'm, a, I'm not buying an HL22. Not until it's on sale. I'm not buying it. I'm going to buy a Lego game and new Pokemons when they come out. Not NHL. They don't get it. Not happening. And the rules. They don't get the rules. No, they don't. They, they don't. Again, 10 of clubs. That's it. That's how we determine it. That's a trip. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, you guys are probably going to remember last year around the trade deadline. I was getting really annoyed. And there were there are certain reporters that all of a sudden this time of year that you've never heard of. There are new Twitter accounts coming up, videos on YouTube claiming trade rumors. Fake news. And 
there's no validity to it. And then you have to have the big guys like Friedman come and say, you know what? This isn't happening. Mm-hmm. Like, why in the world would the Leafs look at getting Jonathan Quick? Who? Who? I'm more curious. Like, how long does his contract run for? Like, I, I think we've forgotten how uh, this works for a second here. Um, I'm very sure Kyle Dubas is a very smart human being. Uh, it's two more years after this. There is no no way in what where is the improvement? So you're bringing in Jonathan Quick, who still has two more years. So what? Freddie leaves, and then you have Jonathan Quick and Jack Campbell because that went so well in LA, and I know it's a different team, but. Still, how about not? I, I I don't think bringing in Jonathan Quick does much. Like, yeah, he's, here's a third goalie. He, 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 he has he's 35, game. right? Uh, he is the age of 35, and he has a 898 save percentage this season. He's not even – yeah, Cal Peterson is the uh, starter now. He is as good as Hurt Freddy. Where was yes. this posted, by the way? So so I found it. So it started on the fourth period, which all they said, this is how it started. It started out as saying pretty much like they had, they talked about it, but nothing was happening. Like it was just a point of discussion. That's it. And it turned into the, everyone's now saying the Leafs are getting Jonathan quick. How about no? No, thank you. Like Elliot Friedman on the blog and 31 Thoughts podcast very politely and plainly explained why Jonathan Quick is not a good option. Like, we don't need that. Like, word of advice to anyone listening to this, okay? If you see an article saying somebody is interested, unless it is TSN or Sportsnet or The Athletic, it does not mean a damn thing, Okay. Even if it's like, oh, it's just it's just the worst. Like, remember last year when it was like every other report was like Colorado interested in Jeff Petrie and Tomas Tatar. And I was like, yeah, but then you realize I've never heard of this reporter. It's like, okay, great. And like, I would like Elliot Friedman to talk about some other trade stuff. But instead, we have to have 31 thoughts where he talks about a Jonathan Quick trade to Toronto that's not happening. It's the worst time of the year. And then... I'm optimistic. Then, okay. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, you sure? You you, you want to keep going or? No, I, I I'm just gonna blow more smoke. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm gonna see this in an optimistic way. God bless you. To promote authentic journalism. Yes. Because when there's all the fake stuff and all the random speculation everywhere, there's the trusted journalists like Elliot Friedman that people go to to say, "No, I have the real answer and I could confirm it for you." Yes. So journalism matters in sports. <laughs> And just and no one credits and no everything. One, no one credits Elliot either. Like he was talking about. Listen, I haven't heard anything, you know, concrete reporting. I just have this opinion that Lou Lamorello, you know, and and he kind of throws out there like Dustin Brown could be an option, but he makes it clear there's no reporting that that makes it other. It's just his thing. And then what happens in my YouTube recommended homepage? Here's a random dude talking about ooh. The Islanders are interested in a, you know, Dustin Brown. No, they're not. No, they you, are not. You bring up Elliot Freeman there, and I, I know we're going to get to this. But Good friend of ours. 
Pardon? Yeah, good, great friend. Of course. Great friend. He he had a name written down, right? Yes. Remember this. He had a name written down. Yes. For the Leafs. And mm-hmm. tell me it's not the preferred target from for Toronto. Here's what's funny about that. Is the beginning. So apparently the Leafs in free agency were interested in Mikhail Granlin. Right. And the forward, as you mentioned, he finally revealed after the Gouch move, was Mikhail Granlund. And then what does Frank Saravelli, legit name, head of the Pro Hockey Route Association, says on insider trading, doesn't this all just sort of connect? That Mikhail Granlund is the preferred target for the Leafs. That's incredible. Someone <sighs> give this man an award. And okay, and we should talk about that. Is you know, Granlin has played center, he's safe two way, and uh, I've always thought he has the ability to play with good players. He's he will not cost you probably the arm and a leg that it feels like Nashville are trying to get for Ekholm. But you know, and in our trade things, we talked about Granlin plenty, but now hearing it from a legitimate source, and it makes all the sense. Your guys' thoughts on Granlin actually coming to Toronto? We'll start here with the man that has a Leafs jersey and a Leafs sweater on. His name is Alexander. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it makes sense. You know, right now, sitting next to Tavares and Nylander is Galchenyuk. Um, Galchenyuk. Very good. Not the other names that have been said. I hate Mike. Um, I hate him so much. But I, I think he's there more of as a placeholder for whoever's coming in. Yeah. Um, I can If I'm being honest, I cannot see him long term going into the playoffs. Having Galche- Alex Galchenyuk on the second line, um, it, it it would be a concern. I'd rather have other players there. That's where I see Mikhail Granlin fitting. And worst case scenario, he can play center. And I'm the penalty kill hasn't been great lately um, for whatever reason. Freddie, I mean, it's Freddie's worst part of the game, like considerably, his is the penalty kill, um, and I you think know, he could be an departed. You know what they say, like your goalie yeah. is your best penalty killer, or the worst one, <laughs> right? Um, but I do think adding Grandland, and I wonder maybe a bigger deal could be worked there for not Forsberg, but for Echo. I don't know. I I'm not gonna say anything, but um, uh, just Grandland alone, I think, would be a good addition. Um, Daniel? Yeah, I think when looking at Mikhail Grandland, I'll, I'll give two perspectives. First, before I even started at the Hockey Writers, honestly, before I even met you guys, I was a Mikhail Grandland fan on Minnesota. I thought he was the future, was going to be really their fixture long-term. And when he got traded to Nashville... Honestly, it hasn't worked out. I think from a player perspective, he needs a new change of scenery. I think when he had maybe the opportunity to move elsewhere, I really thought Nashville, like going back to Nashville was not going to work out and it really has not worked out for him. I still love his defensive game. I still like what he can kind of show, but like aside from the big pieces, because we don't know how that's going to be for Nashville, but for Grandland being retained going to Toronto, it's just, it's perfect to me. I think that he's going to get another opportunity to maybe play top six minutes. He's already has that defensive game that hasn't changed. And it's just, it's just, it's just 
a cost, you know, uh, a cost controlled option for Toronto that it kind of fits so many needs for them. So for now, like I like I I am I am all in on Mikael Grandlin going into the Leafs. Well, here's the next question because between now and the third of April, which is actually nine days before the trade deadline, five games between now and the third of April. How many games the Leafs have? Is that stat? So the question has to be asked because is now not the best time? When does this trade happen? Well, I would have argued the trade should have happened last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've been listening to a couple of people talk, one of them being Mike Fuda. Um, also, Anthony Stewart, I was on um, Good Show yesterday or last week. We have like, I think it's important to remember that right now the Leafs, if the Leafs are trying to make a trade, they're essentially trying to set the market for the trade deadline. And I mm-hmm. think the and and like Dubas said, it takes two teams to tango here, right? Like this is this isn't a one way street only. So I, I think the other side is playing hardball and trying to squeeze the other team as much as possible, which again they should do why not like it makes sense so i think that that might be why it's you know really dragging out into this week i i hope there's a deal done by the end of the week um but i think now the more and the longer it goes the more of a reality is that we are that the leafs are just going to get a pure rental daniel the predators there's been word that they're kind of wondering if there's still a chance because Chicago are falling off here. Like, great, that's going to help your team in the long term. They've just gotten back from a big road trip and they're at home. I, I mean, it, 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 it has to be this. wishful thinking at this point, I think, mm-hmm. that it's just not there for me. I think, like, you know, when I talked about Philadelphia not having the core to get it done, it's, it's further exacerbated by the predators of the money they have committed to these guys that they're just, these are just not the guys that, that you commit to that you think that you could win a championship with that defense. Great. You know, I think it's just, they just have to make those deals simply because of where they are in terms of, you know, a window that has left them two years ago in terms of their forwards. I think that it's, it's just further proof now that, you have this money tied up that you have to get assets for the future because honestly, like you look to what you're going to have, like a Matt Duchesne for that long, uh, a Ryan Johansson for this long, that how long are you going to be able to kind of say that, all right, we have what it takes to kind of make another run. Like I think the LA Kings are just a perfect example of that where they cannot move a lot of these deals, but they realize we're not good. And they did a lot of that trade-off. Like, remember when we talked about last episode, that Jake Muzzin trade came out of nowhere, but at the same time, he had the extra year. He was still in his, he's still in his prime, and he's a, he's a known asset that you go out and you get what you can for these guys. Mm-hmm. If they go into the first, let's say they make it, I don't think they're going anywhere above fourth place, right? That's That would be the maximum like they're not topping florida carolina they're gonna walk into tampa bay for a what 
How many games do you honestly think that goes? There was a fresh Nikita Kucherov on his way for that playoff round. Right. So is it really worth it to play four games in the playoffs? I have like one more thing just to add about Nashville. And it's just one thing that I think that hasn't been talked about as much is David Poyle. And because for so long, I think that, no, he's an amazing GM, but I think for so long, you'll see a Nashville team where they kind of worked up to a point where they could say they're legitimate contenders and then they did make a cup final. But then there's a lot of that letdown afterwards. And what I kind of think is that, is this kind of like his way of trying to say that, like it, like it reminds me of the Detroit Red Wings kind of thing. Where like, you know, it's all about keeping that sense of competitiveness for so long before you finally say, or we got to trade it some assets or is this just something where it just, he's a guy that we're going to go through. We're going to go with no matter what kind of happens. Right. We have our, we have our eye out for two different Toronto trades, Grayland and maybe Kyle Lowry. We'll see what happens though. Switching gears though to the Montreal Canadiens, who we should be here talking about a hockey game and on from Monday, or I think it was Sunday, and then previewing another Oilers game and then looking forward to the third Oilers game and then the Sens on the weekend. But COVID has finally hit the North Division. Um, the Canadians are going to have four games um, rescheduled now. They've Through Sunday, March 28th, their games have been postponed. So that's the three Oilers games. And then a game against the Ottawa Senators. So right now it looks like their next game is scheduled to be March 30th. Training facilities, barring results of tests, will be reopened on the 29th. So right now, Broussard and that are all closed off. And apparently, I think Alex, you mentioned to me that the dates of the rescheduled games are coming out today. Yeah. LeBron was talking about earlier that there is now a bit of a weird period that the NHL might have to push back the playoffs because of the amount of games that might have to be rescheduled, a.k.a. remember the beginning of the year in Dallas got kind of messed up. Uh, that whole division really didn't get a whole lot of games. The Bruins are still down and out, if I remember. For the first case um, in the North Division, kind of happened in the worst way. It kind of mirrors real life, doesn't it? That the American teams... Kind of had all the worst of it. And then it seems to be that, you know, they kind of took up all the buffer room. And now the moment the Canadians seem to falter, well, great. We don't have any vaccines or now there's no room. These are super important games because the Canadians already have games in hand over the Oilers and they're chasing them in the standings right now. Your thoughts on the fact that Montreal season has just become that much more turbulent. By the way, their bye week was like last month. Yeah, I think in terms of the decision that the NHL made, I have a feeling they learned their lesson uh, with the way that some of the, well, the way that they handled uh, New Jersey and Buffalo. Yeah. Because they probably should have stopped the Buffalo game, uh, the New Jersey and Buffalo game, which we don't know, but probably didn't make things better in Buffalo. No. Um. So I think they are earing on the side of caution here, which I guess in their case is is good because we know that 
and based on even the bubble from the summer that these the Canadian, the provincial governments and the federal governments don't seem too fond of having many cases in this country when it comes to sports teams for what for for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think earring on the side of caution was the right move. But you're right. I think it makes it a lot harder for the Canadians in the long run. Mm-hmm. Dan, I, I, yeah, it's 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 a weird time to kind of have this because you know, again, if I'm going to use the Minnesota example, they had ten players and a bunch of staff um, on the COVID protocol list when they had to postpone a lot of games, and but that was at the beginning of the season where you were still kind of you know, having a feel where everything kind of fits, especially a lot of guys coming back from injury. But I think with Montreal that they had that momentum already, that it was a point in this season that it's unfortunate for this to, to kind of happen. And in a way it's just, it's, it was a shock to me, but it's also helps me be grounded in reality that sometimes we look at the South of the border and you saw like the Dallas stars, you saw the wild, even now the ducks they have four players on their protocol list where we we would view it as something of i guess the bubble mentality that that's that stuff is happening there that's not going to happen here because we're a lot more careful and we have the north division but it just for me is another reality of what it's kind of taking what kind of what it, what it took to have a season still despite the world circumstances and what the players have had to go through in addition to what they had to kind of sacrifice in a way for the season to be at like, you know, 50, 56 games. You make a very, very good point. It felt, I felt a lot very much affected. Maybe it's because it's the team I cheer for in the city I live in. But I, I was like, I was really beat down by it when, when the announcement came out just about the first Edmonton game going down. Um, Mark Bergevin, by the way, is apparently talking to the media tomorrow. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. This is, by the way, as a result of two Habs players, that being Jesperi Kakanyemi and Yoel Armia going into Montreal's protocol list on the NHL. Uh, we don't know if they are confirmed cases or false positives or contractor contact tracing or anything like that. Um, people like Connor McKenna can probably learn about that stuff before making a bunch of assumptions and tweeting stuff like, I wonder if there's a Finnish gathering in Montreal right now. And I don't think that tweet has been deleted, by the way. Um, apparently, the tr- at least the way that Angles was talking in Montreal, um, they're, they, they, the players themselves are tested every day. I think family members are twice a week. So this does scream caution, but when caution is needed because the COVID situation, like Montreal have had the curfew, by the way, pushed to 930 now. Still a reality, though. We're still not getting – I know Francois Legault said that apparently in, if you live in Montreal and you want a vaccine, you're probably going to have one by June. We'll see. Um, apparently, they, they're doing better than Ontario, but still as a, in like the whole – and the NHL want to have this damn like 14-day quarantine going out to seven. Well, the government's not helping with that because – well, they haven't done a great job with COVID overall, have they? I was really pissed off with how I saw the reaction that the Habs were getting out on this because we weren't getting it at all. It felt like for other teams, it felt like it was just an unfortunate situation, but it felt like that especially, especially Jesperi Kakinemi, for some reason, was getting a lot of abuse yesterday when we don't know anything going on. 
it, it was really pissing me off as a fan. I'm going to say that it was uh, the treatment they were getting is just, it, it's so unfair, so unfair to these players. We don't know the circumstances at all. Uh, there aren't reports about the Habs going out to a bar before they're supposed to go to the bubble, like St. Louis blues. So maybe people would just need to um, like take a second to really think about the things they're saying right now. We are, I think, very lucky that it took more than half a season for COVID to hit here in Canada, especially with just, again, how badly the government have handled the whole pandemic. I think it's a testament to the players and how well they have been doing that. I think before this, we might have had Boyd was on it for Vancouver because he got claimed. And I think Pugliarvi, but that was false positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly, and that like, was in Montreal. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, like you're 100% right. And and I think we all said it at the beginning of the season. The most important thing isn't like the rules that the NHL put in place are extremely important. They can dictate the rest of the season. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's the players who have to follow those rules. And I'm making a huge assumption here. But I think it seems like the way the way things have gone, that these players in Canada and have bought into, hey, this is what we need to have to have a season. Because I think I think they learned from what happened to other leagues and what happened to the in the bubble and saying, hey, like the Canadian government is for some reason just with sports teams are not messing around. Mm -hmm. Like they're they they'll pull they'll pull the plug here like it's they don't mind um so you're right i think a lot of credit should go towards the players for half a season of nothing in the in the canadian division now there are fortunately a few silver linings to this that is tyler Toffoli was not going to play this week um mm. it looks like now he'll be clear for their next game which is massive considering he's up there in, in goal scoring in the league. I think he's only behind, I think it's McDavid and Matthews. McDavid, by the way, like 60 points already. Will a fool. He's so good. Um, that, and again, if these are pushed to, depending on how late these games are, the Canadians could have Ben Chirac back if it is later in the season. And we are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then if we're including the 30th, the 29th is the Monday, and then the 30th, I think, is the Tuesday. So six, seven days where there is a window that cuts the quarantine in half. So that could be a fantastic window for one Mark Bergevin to try and pull off a trade. I thought he wasn't doing that. Yeah, but we know he's not, we don't believe him. No one does. He's lying. No to one us. does. There was like even 31 thoughts, Freeman was like, Yeah, we don't believe him. We we didn't believe him on this podcast after his first like he's his his media availability, like he's and I'm sure he's gonna be asked about it tomorrow and he'll be like, Leave me alone, shut up. Him and Arpon boss, so we're gonna have a back and forth, and Arpen's gonna be passive aggressive and Bergerman's gonna be a prick about it. We all know how this works. But Call up the devils. Go get Sammy Vatnin already. Please. Please. Just do that for me, Mark. You can do that. Please. What's the what's the cost? Well, funny you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. 
if you want, we can finish off the show figuring out how they get Sammy Vatman. And without even looking at Cat Friendly, I'll tell you this. He's a UFA and he makes $2 million. So if we're cutting that in half, it's a million dollars against the cap if they can retain on it. And that means the Montreal Canadiens need to somehow have a million dollars in cap space. If we go to cap friendly, their projected cap space at the deadline is about $300,000. So they need to clear up $700,000 in cap space. And isn't that funny? There is a bit of a risk, but that means Kale Flurry would probably have to come in. And who makes about $700,000? Ooh, what's this? He makes $735,000. A young defenseman, Victor Mete. I came up with that off the spot, by the way. <laughs> you are all on this, Sammy Vatman trade, and I love yeah. it. It just so, makes all the sense. You're not wrong. That's the thing. You're not wrong. Which and it uh, works. Mete wants to go. You have the dragon. Like, let, let's look at this. This season, a first, two seconds, three thirds. Three fourths, three fifths, a six, and a seven. Anything to like retain, you can figure it out. This is the perfect scenario. It Does works. It, he fits. Looking at all those draft picks and even the even all the ones they had last year, does didn't it look like Mark Bergevin was trying to rebuild? <laughs> like, did you not yeah. like well, am I the only one who got that impression? Yeah, I felt that. Like too. it just felt like Man, like you have a lot of picks. Are you trying to rebuild here? Like, what's going on? That's how he got us. He was just smart with that, right? Like, the Tampa second, it's because he traded down. Like, how in the world he, like, the Blues ended up giving a second because they re signed Scandella? Crazy. They completely doubled the value on Scandella from Buffalo. I mean, like, like credits are Buffalo mishap. Yeah, like, they're bad. Surprise. So. I'm just saying, Sammy half retained. Mete goes the other way. It works. Mete wants out. The Devils want to get younger. It works. It's science. It's mathematics. Okay. <laughs> it's math. What is it? I don't know what that is. I think this was something. That's a percentage. Okay. Um, that's a million. That's the 700k from Victor Mete. Okay. It works. It works. The money works. Works perfectly fine. Okay. Um, I say all of us quickly check Twitter to see if there's anything going on in the league that we should know about. Kyle Lowry? No. No. Not Kyle Lowry. The the, the Bruins will return to the ice this evening with a 7 p.m. practice. That's weird. Lance McCullers Jr. has re-signed with the Houston Astros for $85 over five years. Are the Bruins going to trade Jake DeBrusque? I don't know what they're doing. It's like tough love right now with him. Yeah. Like, actually, no, I don't think they did it. Like, did Zachary Sanchin play over Jake DeBrusque in one game? I want you to know for our trade deadline, I think I've traded, like, for our preview of the West, which we're doing on Sunday, I have traded Jack Stanika three times. <laughs> I want you to know that. I want you to get ready for that. You have a chip on your shoulder about that one. I am ready. That's going to be exciting. And as a tease, because I decided to stay up a little late last night, and this is all I'm going to say. I have proposed and put together a trade, a four-way trade. 
God. between Vegas, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, and Buffalo. Don't say who it is yet. Just leave it. I'm not. But I have developed a four-way trade that okay. I think is gonna. It, it can work, and I think I really think that it all works out. There may be one stretch, and that's Minnesota. But Kirill the Thrill is gonna help me out. He's not getting traded by. I want to make that very clear. I'm not trading Kirill Kaprasov. Not gonna happen. Daniel's happy about it. Now. Wow. <laughs> I, I was about but, to like. I was about to like leave this. Not no, don't worry. don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay, that's everything. Oh, no, I'm a Leafs fan. Sometimes. Your brain says the Leafs, but your heart says Minnesota. They know it could be worse. Don't worry. You could be a fan so of a where, whole list of teams. Be a fan of not Will. naming, Not naming names. <clears throat> you could be a Sabres fan, and that must suck right now, and we'll find out next Sunday, or this Sunday, when we have Will Christoph. Yeah, Christoph was on. Christoph. Yes. Not Will Baldwin. Not Will Baldwin. No. Not the five Wills in our program. (laughs) There's so many Wills. There are. There are. Are there? Will. Yes. There's Baldwin. Baldwin, Christo. um, There's Will Dixon. There's Will. I forget. He has glasses and he's. The really tall Will. He's taller than Baldwin. Yeah. What? Yes. That's a thing. Yes. 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 (laughs) Okay. Shall we end the episode? Um, yeah, so this has been a podcast. It's a hockey podcast with some basketball and some student journalism. Again, go listen to the episode of Richard. Great episode. Be sure to also check the show out wherever you listen to your podcasts and including YouTube because we have a YouTube page. We might have mentioned it once or twice and you can see our beautiful faces as we go. And you can see Will and he has, you know, those great glasses. Actually, I just realized I'm the only one on this call that doesn't have glasses on. I yep. should wear them, but I don't. And maybe if I was like Mark Bergevin, I could see how clearly a Sammy Vatnin deal works. Anyway, um, thank you to Voice Ed as always being a fantastic platform for the show. If you're on the podcast app on iOS, leave a five-star thingy. Follow on Spotify. Check us out on all our socials. Check out Will stuff. Check out Hockey Riders Daniel, Blog Alex, Eye Opener, my piece, as well as Daniel's piece on the Eye Opener as well. It was really good. That's it. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, guys.